Yeah, it hits every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. But I also think it's kind of corny to do anything that's a little bit too orchestrated. True, true. You need a jingle, though. Like, do you have music? Like, I do. Okay. And I just kind of picked a random one. Um, and now sometimes when I think back on it, I'm like, I think this is a little bit too peppy. It's a little bit too a beat. You should do like a little listening lab session with Norm to like make some custom. That's true. Intros. Well, when I did Norm's episode, um, we had some organ tracks Sick. that we had laid out at the at the listening lab during that, um, which was nice. It was like a little bit more tailored. And I kind of do like when podcasts have different intro music. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of any that do that, but conceptually, I'm there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that in theory. Okay. Um, I guess I didn't write anything for your intro. I will describe the titles that I think that you bear. You can, um, you can correct me. Your founder, are, do you describe yourself as an artist founder as well? Are you on Dude, the train? I'm also on the artist founder train. Artist founder, your furniture designer, mm-hmm. probably also a regular designer. <laughs> I I'd broadly <laughs> categorize myself as just a designer, but, you know, furniture is a nice, like, modifier to that. Right. And I also, I've been to your DJ sets. You have, right. I don't classify myself as a DJ. I I say that I'm a person who can DJ, but I'm not a DJ. I mean, how many times does someone have to DJ before they can call themselves a DJ? I think it's a mindset thing. I... I like to have my USB on me and should there be decks available and I feel compelled, go up to say something with what I want to do versus like, I like am trying to be booked as a DJ to be on someone's bill. I feel like, I I don't know what your experience is, but unless you are booked, like you can't go to a party and try to DJ even if they have a thing there because everyone around here is a DJ. Yeah. Everyone in like a three mile radius. (laughs) See, that's interesting. I feel like if I'm pulling up to a party with strangers, they typically want DJs. But to your point, like with our kind of group of friends in New York, everyone's a DJ. Quite frankly, I don't find myself in the position where like I'm fighting with people to DJ because I don't really ever want to DJ unless I'm a very compelled to do so. Right, right. But this is why it comes down to like someone who can DJ versus someone who is a DJ. Like it's not a motivation that I have. Right, it's not a calling. Right, yeah. Like it. it's sort of like a, like, I was going to say cooking, but I like actually like cooking. I'm like compelled to do it. Yeah. It's like... It's just a nice to have. It's a okay. This is gonna sound bad, but it's like kind of a party trick for me. It is literally a party trick. Yeah. It it's like yeah. I'm like you know shout out to all my and all of our homies who like are very good and fun and invested DJs. But like for me, for Sinali, I'm not really trying to be a DJ. So so yeah. I guess to to the point of like an intro, I can DJ. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not. I think someone who would identify as a DJ though. What else are your identities that I maybe missed out or I didn't ones that I don't know about hidden? hidden yeah, island. hidden, hidden. Okay, um, one that I think is resonant is the notion of an animator. Uh, so I think when you hear that, like a lot of people will think of an animator like someone who draws and you know animates drawings. Uh, but I'm actually using the role of the animator that I borrow from the Baha'i faith. Uh, and this like structure that they have um, within the community of the Baha'i faith. Uh, I'm someone who like practices the Baha'i faith and uh, my role was that of uh, essentially animating 
ideas, beliefs, projects, artifacts uh, out of uh, like what they call junior youth, which is like generally middle school aged kids. And mm -hmm. your goal as an animator is to just animate out inherent and under uh, utilized capacity in the junior youth. And so what I like about the role of the animator is like it speaks on this notion of like taking existing substrate and like pulling it out into, uh, you know, what it like wants to be into its final form. And like mm -hmm. these kids like have a ton of capacity. It's just my job to help them articulate it. Right. And so I really, really like that. And I think that that can be applied to other avenues as like simply a teaching style or like a pedagogy of sorts. Right. And I, I think that like maybe the pithy way to to say that like, you know, I'm an animator is just like I'm a teacher and I really like facilitating leading workshops like that's something that I've always done and um, have resonated with the purpose of teaching through the like concept or role of the animator. So that's the last one, I guess. And it is always necessarily towards the junior youth. It's not always that. I think in the in the practice of the Baha'i faith, basically what I'm doing is I'm borrowing a role uh, and then applying it as like a more generalized like principle. Right. So I, I I'm not an animator anymore. I don't I don't do that with uh, my time. But I think that that belief system can be applied to your peers, to to people that you you know report to, and like you know are your bosses, uh, to people that you know report to you. I think this notion of like facilitation is more or less just like a, a way of of being and like i i don't know I, I i sort of think of it like you can learn something from anyone including of course like junior youth that was the point of like you know thinking of the animator in that capacity but also you can learn things from your peers and seeing everyone as like or anyone really as like a potential place for learning and like growth is like kind of i think caked into the concept of the animator the way that you frame it, is it like animating the ambitions or things that are inside yourself or like ideas that are floating around in the ether? I think those things are really related, but uh, it's more the former in the sense that like, like traditionally this demographic of people, um, kids are undervalued in their already just like kind of latent potential. Mm -hmm. And I think that what animators try to do is recognize that potential and help them find both the language uh, around their ideas and also the like skills and resources required to act on them. And I think that's where like the animator kind of like is a little different than a teacher. It's like I think a teacher will give you frameworks for you to use, but animators help you articulate your own frameworks and then provide like a sort of operational capacity to like execute on them. Maybe this like is clear with an example and then like is like then extensible from there. But like when I was an actual animator in college, uh, what we would do is like we would talk to the junior youth and say, OK, cool. You guys have like a belief system that, you know, you want your parents to start exercising. Cool. We think that's a problem in the community and like you want to do something about it. Uh, and then say one kid is like, yeah, I don't like the fact that like when I, uh, you know, am at home. I like can't go play sports afterwards. And I think that like that's a great opportunity for my mom or like my dad to come play sports with me. Uh, why don't we make like a, a tournament where we like have kids play with their their parents? Right. And like if you're a kid, that's a really sick idea. Do you yeah. type, you know, have the capacity to to go out and like talk to a school principal and like organize an after school activity and like 
communicate with your parents and like get everyone on board and schedule the thing. Like, yeah, you have the capacity, but an animator is probably there to just like make that a little bit more actionable with their own uh, agency and ability to act on that on your behalf. So that's kind of the way I would think about it. And like an ability to see, to have not so much more foresight, but like be able to see longer or deeper into it to um, facilitate like all of the different things you're going to have to plan out in order to bring about this idea that you want, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like if you if you then sort of like apply that way of facilitating or way of teaching to just like other things in life, right? it's really easy to look at like someone like a, a I don't, in my role, like I'm startup founder and so like a lot of what I do is just taking what is super sound ingredients in people and like perspectives and just like connecting the dots for them or like resourcing them properly uh, to go like execute those ideas so it's like the same methodology I'm not like teaching people I'm just saying like oh there's some good ingredients here and I think like if you did this this and this and I can help you with you know ah, ah ah we can make something cool happen and I think that's that's just like a better way for people to be invested in their own agency because you can prove to them that things are possible when you like coordinate with other people and like you know someone who's like specifically looking to you to be the source and like catalyst for this uh we'll say like endeavor Mm -hmm. okay Uh, did you know this part of yourself or was this something that you wanted to do when you created a startup or was it something that you found along the way yeah, this being the like animator. Yeah, yeah, and like the facilitating and taking yeah. ideas or like things that other people have. Yeah, yeah. Um, in short, no. I think uh, I would characterize this like mo uh, as something that's more of a lifestyle thing. It's kind of just like I have this belief that like like no humans are on pedestals, um, and I, I guess people articulate this sometimes as like kill your heroes, but I more think of it like like what I said earlier, you, you have an opportunity to learn from and alongside anyone, uh, including people that you sort of look up to. Um, like I think that they, they are a, a peer apprentice of sorts. That's like language that, um, you know, some of the folks at Teal specifically like Yatu has has used before with, with me. And um, when I think about like did this... Uh, like, was this something that I wanted to do as as a, a function of running my startup? No, but it is like a way that I like to um, to to get things done is just like I like working with people and like seeing the potential that they have despite their skill set, despite their age or experience. And so I would say it's like a helpful mindset to have, especially if you're like a scrappy startup founder, because you could do a lot with like what is just around you. And yeah, I guess it, maybe just articulating it, it's like a super big benefit to be able to like not need a certain uh bar to be met on any axis it's just like you'll work with what you have around you and you can bring out the best in people i think if you're a a leader that can do that and in this case like being a startup founder like you're in a really good position to just like execute and bring good people around you who like see that their value and perspective has been respected Mm -hmm. okay in terms of your path of how you became a founder um, you have a co-founder, right? I have two co-founders. Yeah, two co-founders. Okay. Do all of you guys share this role? Also, I guess for um, our listeners, yes. <laughs> your startup is called Genesis. Mm-hmm. Genesis is Genesis is 
a way to sort of uh, bring what I would call the context layer of the internet and specifically like the crypto powered internet uh, closer to the interaction layer or like what people have in the past called uh, wallets and signers. And so uh, put more simply than that, like what we're trying to do is make it safer, easier and more uh, ergonomic and familiar for you to interact with crypto and thinking of crypto as a facet of the internet, uh, but not as this like very discrete, separate uh, subculture that exists around the internet. I think it's like part of our our logic and orientation towards the space is like thinking about crypto as a facet of the internet. And yeah, that's kind of a, a broad 10,000 foot, like what is Genesis trying to do? But like practically speaking, what we make is like a wallet um, kind of like uh, infrastructure um, for you to start interacting like today. Okay. Interacting with with like yeah with crypto applications okay. uh, on the web okay. yeah oh i i i downloaded your app uh, that's okay it's it's not necessary for for this conversation no i know but i feel like yeah i i i, I didn't research this well because i don't have ios 16 i have ios 15.2.1 uh-huh and i'm not upgrading that anytime yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't do that it happens God rarely that I can't download an app because I don't have an, an iOS. And like, thankfully, I haven't yet had to like, I don't know, torch my iPhone X by yeah. upgrading to 16. Um, I also don't have a wallet. So totally. I feel like I can't fully experience it yet. But at this point, I really need to get it because I keep talking to all these people in crypto. Uh-huh. And I have like a good general understanding, right. but I have no firsthand experience. Sure, sure. <laughs> Well, we'll pretty soon hear if if like all goes well in the next few weeks. Uh, what we'll be introducing is like a way for you to do all this without a separate app okay, that cool. you could use the web to just do all this. Nice. And, and that's kind of like this isn't like a crypto podcast, but like that's sort of all that I like can say right now. Okay, because okay. we're we're cooking. Okay, so when did Genesis start? When did you start getting the idea for it? And then when did you guys start putting into putting it into practice or putting it into reality it was the end of 2021 and i was in europe with uh, a friend and i was on a vacation and feeling really fed up with like my last job and i was working in ai uh, before this as a product manager and um i just realized that as you know i was approaching my two-year mark at this company i was like reaching this point where I was like one of the most tenured people within my like team but like the most junior in like title and I had all this like caked in institutional knowledge where I was like always the youngest probably lowest paid person in the room but like senior people that were just brought in were like so how does this work and you know they were great or whatever but I just like reached a point where I stopped learning so I straight up just like quit i no notice. Um, I don't like love that, but like I had this belief that if I spent another, like just if any amount of time working on that company in that team, like I would just feel really like incongruent with my life. And so I like said, fuck all. And like, (laughs) I yeah, I snapped. And, uh, I just, uh, was in the, I think I was in Portugal. I was in Lisbon and I put out a tweet actually, uh, that was, about something not related to Genesis. Um, This is pre like the Genesis idea or the Genesis concept even coming to fruition. Um, I put out a tweet that was basically like, 
Hey everyone, um, I'm a free agent. I am going to be uh, working on, I think I described it as like uh, objects, uh, software, and like art. And that was like a, a probably bad categorization of what I actually wanted to do. Basically, I launched this studio that I was going to freelance through called Menagerie. And Menagerie in concept was, and still is, a place to basically like honor ideas and their sort of like inherent liveness and like the concept of a menagerie right is like a zoo that has uh, animals in it and so sort of extending that metaphor I was like I want this like little zoo to be a place where all my little ideas can be animals that like live their own lives as a result of their own independent sort of like progression through the internet or my friend groups or whatever and so it's basically like a creative studio right and mm -hmm. I, I have a skill set of uh being able to sort of make stuff with my hands and and build objects, but also like write software design. Um, and so felt like the right like abstraction. Um, so when I put that out, I also added in the tagline like, so if you need any like work, <laughs> uh, I'm really interested in crypto and like interested in frontier tech. Um, and that somehow made its way to a crypto investor's uh, inbox. And then he blasted that tweet to his like portfolio companies which like all hit me up and were like, yo, do you like want to be a designer here? Do you want to like work on product? And that was totally unexpected, was not really thinking that the tweet would like pop off in the way that it did. Right. But importantly, um, I ended up did taking a I ended up I ended up taking a small part time gig doing design work while I was figuring out like what I wanted to do. But my old uh, like best friend from high school's older brother hit me up and was like, yo, I haven't spoken to you in a long time, but I really think that you'd like resonate with this idea that I have for a company called Genesis. Uh, and so Genesis, now we're here, Genesis was not my idea. Okay. But I think the motivations for why I joined Genesis, um, the concept product wise, as well as like what resonated for me around its motivations, um, the team, all that, like, they, it was just like the perfect convergence of conditions that I needed to be willing to dedicate, you know, the next chunk of my life to and my reputation and my, you know, you know, financial future, all this shit. Right. Uh, it, it, it was like a compound decision. Um, so the, the co-founding team is me. Um, it's Sammy, the um, my sort of high school best friend's older brother and Dan and Dan is a, a, like another New York based engineer that I, I met recently but like we we hit it off like very very fundamentally and like deeply to the point where I was like I'm ready to like do this with you mm -hmm. so um Sammy had the idea and the idea was a product concept it was uh what if we made something that like basically created a um simplified and integrated experience where you could understand what is being like asked of you in a transaction in a crypto transaction in the same interface or ui uh that you can actually like sign that transaction and execute the thing that you want to do so for an example it's like blockchain data is like notoriously difficult to interpret and what we were going to do is make something like i want to uh swap tokens on an app like uniswap super simple where if you were on mobile and crucially this was like, going to be a mobile app um, you could like understand what you're uh, swapping from a like fiat currency of your native country perspective. Um, and you would understand if you executed the transaction, what would happen? And 
ideally this would prevent like phishing. It would prevent like people being like, you know, hacked or scammed. And that is like in a nutshell what the product concept was. But I think like importantly, what we wanted to do was more than just like a product. We wanted to like change the aesthetics and culture of crypto. And so the the biggest thing for me was like here here I, I have one of like my oldest friends, older brother, who's like I've always respected and like had a ton of great conversations with since I was literally like 17, um, telling me like, yo, I think you'd resonate with this. And when we discussed like kind of all the things that we thought we could improve about crypto, fundamentally bringing a better UX at the product level was like one of them. But a big one was like the images, the aesthetics, the community, the language that we're using in crypto, the plot line of like this kind of greed and like hyper volatility and like, you know, sort of just like cringe factor was really, really uh, dissonant with like the way that I saw these sound ingredients like sort of fundamentally uh, changing our relationship to the internet if it's successful, right? And we can get into what those things are, but but a big motivator for me was like, these are people whose visions of the future I agree with at a cultural level. And I think if we're successful, we can become agents of change at a cultural level to introduce not cringe, ugly ass art, to introduce like applications that are actually relevant and to introduce like a UI and UX pattern that like ideally like pushes the entire space forward. And all those things, I was like, not only do I feel very, very aligned at a vision level um, and, you know, I, I think that we had like a really strong mix of people and that Dan is like an engineer who's probably one of the best engineers I've ever met. Sammy is like one of the best designers I know and like can make brands, can make products, can make physical goods. He's really, really talented as, as a designer. And then myself, like I'm by no means an excellent engineer, but I can code. And I would say I'm a very good designer, but I'm not a better designer than Sammy. I'm also, I think, probably the person who can communicate most effectively against the like engineering arm and the design arm. Um, and I think I can speak pretty well and sell and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like I see the the trifecta of pretty mutually exclusive spikes, but like really, really overlapping skill sets at the founding team. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just like had the perfect confluence of like the team, our vision, and like the product feeling really, really strong. And so we started the company pretty soon after uh, the initial conversation with Sammy, I'd call it like around November of 2021. And then we raised around a venture funding in the beginning of 2022. And we've been building since then. So so when you're initially raising, what kind of, what are you raising off of? You just have like a pitch deck or you have like your um, like design mock-ups or what yeah. do you have to show people? Well, it, it depends a lot on like what stage you're presenting the idea. And so uh, like just as like a reference point they're they're typically ideas that consider themselves pre-seed seed and series a those are like kind of early stage i would argue and uh, i'll say as a preface like there is not like a hard and fast rule of what constitutes a pre-seed versus a seed there tends to be a pretty well-ish defined boundary of what constitutes series a but i think pre-seed and seed are kind of made up titles that are more reflective of your uh, set of like hypotheses for what you've proven and what what amount of money you want to raise. And so in our case, uh, I, I probably can't reveal how much we raised because we haven't announced that yet. But um, I was early on enough in this idea where we had a like 
articulate vision. We had a plan for how we would execute on this. I knew the people that we would hire. We had a team uh, and we had designs. And so before we had built anything, um, you know, I pretty much had the like research prompts and like the set of experiments we would run, if you want to like analogize that way. Uh, and so we would probably call that thing that we did a pre-seed in its, in its like stage of idea, right? Like there wasn't like a product yet, so it's not necessarily a seed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, it, I guess to answer your question, I had a pitch deck, I had a team, um, I had my first few hires kind of like locked in, ready to go as soon as we got capital and then a plan for how to execute. Um, so that, and, and of course, like I'm, I'm, uh, I guess like there's one detail of this that's pretty important is like, I'm really lucky in that uh, a lot of people don't have, I think the accidental network that I created by living in New York, which is like half of my friends on the tech side of my life were like founders. The other half were VCs. Right. And I was kind of the few people that was like, I'm just the, you know, operator guy. That's like, probably wouldn't call myself that, but I, I, I just like am a design product type of IC. And so I I never gave a shit before Genesis about like there was never like an angle of I want to raise money from you guys one day or like I want to be a founder someday. Th- that has never been like a desire of mine. And I think because there was a ton of good faith and like just they, like they knew me really well on both sides. Like it was really easy for me to be like, oh shit, like I want to go do this and I don't know how. Like I don't know how to talk to investors. I don't even know that many investors who are like check writers. You know, I know like associates and principals which are kind of just roles within investing, right? And so um, I just kind of came to the founder friends and was like, yo, this is my set of intuitions. Like, can you help me construct something that's like pitchable? And they helped me. Um, I have to like give my shout out to Reggie here. Uh, Reggie's like a, a friend of ours and he runs a company called Eternal. I remember when I was ready to become a founder, I like called him and he invited me over to his house and we just sat on his roof and he talked me through all the things that like I need to know. And I'll never forget like how in depth and like helpful that that conversation was for forming like really, really crucial decisions in the beginning that felt really scary. So have to give that shout out. And then Kristen, who is another friend of ours, who's a, a VC at a company called ENIAC. And I sat with her with my extremely bad, really, really like embarrassing pitch deck that had good ingredients, but like was not pitchable. And uh, I talked with her at her kitchen table like that same week, probably. And she helped me construct a pitch deck that I could actually show to VCs. And so I had like really, really good accidental networks of people that I could immediately go and talk to. And I don't think a lot of people have that. And so, yeah, that was a lot of. A lot of thank yous, but it, it, it was a happenstance, like, mix of circumstances. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, I mean, someone who just has an idea, they probably don't. Why why would you know how any of this process works? Why would you know what VCs want, what they're used to looking at, <laughs> what they are buying into versus what they're not? Um, but then again, like, in New York and L.A., these are hubs of, I feel like, not everyone that we know as a founder, but a lot of people. I'm constantly shocked. And yeah, when I moved to New York, that was like, a, what the fuck do you mean you guys are all founders? <laughs> founders of what? What are you talking about? Like, I had never heard this word in my life. Um, I don't know, until I was like 22. Um, okay, so when you guys, you started raising for Genesis, mm-hmm. 
I'm curious to know how long of a time was it from you guys raising money to launching the app? Yeah. So when you're raising, it is frustrating because you are not building by like almost default, right? And then when you're building, you're generally not talking to investors. And in terms of the actual timeline, we did our first public product, um, I think like, we'll say March of 2021. I think that's right. Or not 2021, 2022. Um, which would be like three months from like, I guess the raise to a product launch. And what that was, was it was a like, experiment where we live streamed my team in a warehouse in Brooklyn and then we would play music on each of the five days to represent each of the five team members and we would drop like custom art that we made for that team member so like you could collect using like Genesis's infra uh, a piece of like custom art that like linked to the Spotify playlist that was being played that day of the live stream and so the mechanism to claim the art was like you turn into our website there's a live stream and then a QR code would pop up as you're listening to music and just watching the team work. And uh, you could claim the free art that way. And so that was like our first product. And I think what that did is like it started the sort of lore building of like what Genesis was, at least at like a vibes perspective. It probably wasn't telling you that much about our product. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly wasn't actually. But what it did do is like it said to people watching, when we ask for your attention, like we're typically going to. Uh, ask you to to do something and give you something in in you know response. So uh, part of the mantra and lore building of the last like year and a half has been like how do we give people value and like in in our case it's in the form of art that we make ourselves um, and do that before we ask something of someone. And so yeah, I think it started a little bit of a, a culture within the company at least. How did you guys learn how to, or how did you devise these plans um, in the time that you were building or or raising? Were you building on the product, but you decided that you needed to do some more preliminary things first? Yeah. So, okay. So there's like, generally speaking, probably th- I'm going to say three motions at like a company. Um, I think most things that you do bubble up into one of these three goals. Uh, one is fundraising, right? Like just rule number one is don't run out of money. Um, number two is building. So building actual product and like that takes time, research and development, um, you know, product ideation, designing, whatever. Uh, and then three is like, I would call it broadly speaking marketing, but I I typically refer to it as like distribution. Um, and so it's like said differently, uh, make money to power the whole thing, uh, build the product so that you have something to ship and then build distribution so that people are ready to receive it on some kind of rails, whether it's like Twitter, Instagram or email, whatever, uh, when the product is ready. And so in that first motion, we were building distribution and uh, in the background, building products that like as we're building the rails of distribution, more and more people, um, you know, join those rails. And then ideally, there's an audience to receive the product that we're ready to ship to them. there were like things we learned that like worked and then things that didn't work and we had to like adjust over the last year and a half. But mm. generally speaking, like I've spent the last year and a half doing a lot of the product building and uh, a, a fair bit of like distribution building as well in the form of like sort of like viral stunts that like give people stuff. Viral stunts. 
Yeah, I may be using viral pretty like generously there, but I will say like, uh, I don't want to use the word speculative, but like spectacle oriented types okay. of things. So like, it, it, almost like to to conjure the feeling of like, I don't really know what's happening here, but I am interested by it. Mm -hmm. And I think asking people's attention in that way typically like adds some delight factor to the brand and to uh, their association with like, you know, what Genesis is. Yeah, for so. sure. What you were saying before, I, I w would predict this to be a problem in being a founder or like building any kind of product that comes from your idea. All of the constraints that are existent within that time of conception or raising to when you're actually launching it. And I don't know if the work is largely held in trying to enact your vision and like perfectly execute it. So everything that you're you were originally thinking of is actually part of the final product. Or if it's like making concessions along the way of, okay, how is this going to have to change? How is our original idea going to have to be shaped by all of these like real world constraints that are now imposed upon us? So if you could speak a little bit to how it all have it changed or yeah, those kinds of concessions that you guys had to make, or even just like, I feel like, oh, as time passes, you get better ideas or like it just becomes more cemented in certain ways. Yeah, that's such a good like set of questions and sub questions um i could talk forever about that but like in the interest of just like keeping it simple um i learned really painfully that you should start at, at least in our case you should start with the hookiest part of the thing that you're making right and the thing that's sticky the like real meat of the thing yeah. and not to a pixel perfect like concession free version of the thing and that's that latter sort of like MO is not exactly what we did, but I really like learned at a visceral level um, to to ship the thing that like is the sticky hook and um, also to essentially like, you know, constantly test the fundamentals of your idea. To, so to your latter point around like, you know, how do you stay focused um, when your idea changes? I think your idea should change in its, you know, um, awareness of the context that, you know, you're building in, right? Uh, like crypto changes so frequently and like new infrastructure gets, you know, developed and new narratives begin to form that then inform how people interact with such a nascent space that like you have to be aware of those. And I think that like testing the fundamentals of what it is that you're building uh, means sort of revisiting like what your mission is and what assumptions that you had, you know, mm -hmm. uh, when you went to go build like are those still true um if those are sound and i think fundamental enough then i think that you're probably on the right track to continue being convicted but like don't look at data that is saying otherwise and think like oh but like they'll come around you know and i think you you, you have to be just like really sober to that and um i guess yeah people have already sung the praises of being focused like over and over and over again but like i'm also now one of those people like if it's not fundamental product that is like a hook and you can like build a story on top of that quickly and and with your real users don't do it if you're not building like a distribution rails that like when you post something to those rails people do the like call to action or the like you know completed activity that you want them to do then don't use those rails like and the fundraising one that one could be a whole thing but like don't talk to vcs unless you need to talk to vcs that's kind of my general opinion on that so yeah yeah, I don't know. I feel like 
I guess this is just one of my assumptions, but there's like two um, two camps of not founders, but like people who have these bright ideas who are like, I'm going to do something about this. And that's like when you have a very specific use case and you're like trying to build a product that like fulfill that fulfills a very specific need. And then on the opposite side of that, it's this like idyllic, I'm going to change the whole sk- the scope of this whole entire space or area. Um, and I feel like if you're in that later camp, you really might, it might even be kind of painful, but to have to narrow it down to this like thing that is sticky or like much more tangible and then build off of that. Yeah, yeah. I I think that that comes down. I, I I can't speak for all founders, but like it comes down to a relationship with work that's like, do you have a transactional relationship with work or do you have a transformational one? Where I think the former is like more, I get money and ideally a lot of it to create resources for me to use in the things that I actually want to do with my life. Like very European, very like whatever, like Rome life. Uh, and then I think the latter of like transformational work is more like a I'm looking for meaning or or like very like sort of fundamental fulfillment from my work and a a lot of founders uh, fall into the second camp because they've seen things like the social network and are like very inspired by like what not Mark Zuckerberg Jesse Eisenberg did you know and that story but like I I think that it's a super individual choice because there are a lot of people too who are like, I've dedicated my life to, I'm going to pick on an industry right now and I am just pulling this out of my ass. So don't take it personally. But like, if you're like operationalizing like a vertical of like trucking logistics, right? Like, I don't know someone who's like, you know, my meaning in life is like making trucking sicker. Like that to me would lend itself more to like I think this is a undersolved problem and would lead to a really big outcome financially for me and my family and that's like a totally valid reason to go about that I would say that I sort of fall more in the camp of like I think that there's sound fundamentals to a nascent technology that's still finding its like language system and like broader culture and of course part of that culture is the technology and tools that are used within it and I feel like my calling is that I have a perspective on how that should look and I want to do my best to apply myself towards that. Mm-hmm. And the best way that I could like see myself doing that is through, in this case, like a venture-backed company like Genesis. Um, but yeah, I think that probably lands itself more in the transformational camp. Yeah. Um, I would say that you have to have some degree of delusion to also be in that camp. That is true. Yeah. So yeah. And also just to like have a startup in the first place totally i've this is the hardest most insane thing that i've ever spent my time doing it's like the best job i've ever had and also the most like emotionally challenging as someone who's relatively level-headed and like pretty like sound i'm like constantly shocked at how like extremely high the highs feel and how like depressingly low i've felt in the last like year and some change of doing this thing so yeah i i I guess the statistic has never been validated for me. It's just something that I hear. And it's probably not 90%, but people always say that 90% of startups fail. First first ones? Yeah. Just, I, just first startups or startups in general? I don't know. Totally. I think that that statistic is true. I've also heard something like that. I think in my head, it it's always just like you're more likely to fail than you are to succeed. Yeah. 
but I think failure looks like a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think success is is defined by m- most heuristics at least are like, did you become a uh, unicorn, which is like a billion dollar valuation company? Or it's like even more aspirationally, did you IPO and IPO successfully and like generate a huge return for both your investors, your team and yourself as one of the founders? And I would say that um, failure can look like a lot of different things because it's literally like, did you sell the company even though you probably didn't make any money and like technically get acquired? Like that could be a form of failure or like, did you shut down the company and return all the money to people because you lost conviction? Like that's also failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also like this weird middle ground of people who probably will fail eventually, but exist in this like zombie state of like being a thing that like no one wants and like is somehow just like, still alive, like burning money. And like, yeah, that's like a really I think that's a bad place to be because then to me, that's like not a respect for both your employees time and your own time. And uh, yeah, that's I mean, yeah, I guess when you frame it like that, I yeah, that statistic doesn't really make any sense. It would make more sense if they say like fail within the first 12 months or some or like two years, because, yeah, most things end eventually. Right. Or I guess you stop becoming a startup when you get acquired. That's the end goal. Yeah, when it reaches a certain size, revenue, uh, or like, you know, state of independence or acquisition, whatever. Right. So if you don't acquire that, if if, if, if you don't get acquired, rather, and you shut things down for one reason or another, while you're still considered a startup, that's a failure. Okay, then like, it doesn't really sound that crazy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, something that you mentioned earlier, and something that I wrote in my questions about how crypto is so ever-changing quickly evolving and i'm probably just projecting my own fears (laughs) but uh, yeah when you get a a good idea and you're trying to build something within this area that is rapidly evolving you know markets are they're crashing they're rising nobody knows what's going to happen next are you struck with this kind of anxiety or how do you um, maintain your own um, uh, self-assuredness in the product that you're building in the time that it's taking to build it yeah I think um, this is like someone said it once. I forget where and who, but someone said that like running a startup is like looking into the void and chewing glass. And like I cannot think of a more just like perfect articulation of like how it feels sometimes. Yeah. Because I think there are ways that you can make the void less of a void and like illuminate it and Usually that just boils down to like, are you talking to your customers and like sense checking what your hypotheses around the product is that you're building? Like, and then there's like a very practical, like at a macro level, is the market changing such that the like segments of the customers that you're targeting are both like paying a lot of money and facing like problems within that and thus like growing and willing to spend money ideally as you're talking to them on solving those problems. Great. Like you can make the void less of a void. Um, But If you're building in silence privately, uh, that's really hard to do. And I think this is where like the tension of like, do you do the pixel perfect thing or do you like ship the thing that's on its way, um, but like can give you some proxy sentiment and make the like glass less glassy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, I think with crypto in particular, it's hard because you basically like have all these like really, really... um, visceral and like pretty brutal transparent uh like proxy measures that you can like 
choose to lean into or not. And some of those are like what you mentioned, volatility of price charts. If you're like building on a piece of technology that has a coin and that coin's uh, like respective value drops a ton, that like doesn't feel good. And that like live sentiment tracker on a 24 seven like market is really hard to stomach for most people generally, right? That's why like people always sell their stocks when they're tanking and not, you know, holding them for ideally like a point at which they're like, you know, booming. Um, and so I guess like how to build technology that's like responsive to that and context aware of that uh, depends on where you are in the stack. Mm-hmm. Like I would say that if you believe fundamentally that crypto will exist in some fashion in the next you know, 100 plus years of society. I chose that number out of nowhere. But uh, <laughs> assuming that it's here when before we all burn, hopefully that's not soon, uh, then I think that like it pays to just be confident in it as a fundamental primitive that you can build on top of and then humble to the reality that the product that you're building on top of that stack needs to be like capturing value under the curve of adoption And what I sort of mean by that, I guess, is like things change really quickly from like a technology perspective in crypto. And so if you know that like the current state of affairs can't persist for much longer, then it's beneficial to understand like what will persist and like develop a thesis around that and build towards that. But you're not always going to be right. Exactly. And like you just have the the problem and the really awesome challenge uh, is you have to be like fundamentally right, not just directionally correct a lot of the time. And the things that you're fundamentally right on, not just directionally correct, you can win extremely big on. And so I think people say like startup building is like a mix of luck, skill, and just like correctness uh, or foresight. I don't know, vision. But I would say that it's like all of those things and an awareness that like you can't just be at the right place at the right time. You get that way by like capturing value under the curve, by solving real problems that people have now and building good faith and a story and history with the people that are ultimately going to be using your thing. So, yeah, I guess that to like overlay that and like sum it up, it's just like don't like be building in silence and like try to develop relationships with people that you think are going to be durable through the like cycles of shit changing. And ideally, like, target a sort of related and ancillary group of people that you think you could bring in and, like, be their shepherd, be their, oh, my God, I'm going to say it, be their animator, (laughs) facilitate them to get into the space. So, so yeah, I don't know. That's more on the, like, kind of targeting and positioning angle, I I would say. Right. Yeah. And in terms of being correct, how do you... How do you try to be correct? It's like keeping, um, what's the saying? Like uh, your like finger on the pulse or your f- feet on the ground or something. Both. I mean, both of those things. Okay. Yeah, metaphorically. Uh, ground. That's what I meant. Ah, ear to the ground. Right. I mean, I don't know if I'm correct. I'll find out if I'm correct <laughs> as we like keep launching these things. But directionally, certainly, like we we have evidence that like the things that we believe to be true are problems and like problems that people are willing to. Uh, pay to solve for right and so um the yeah i guess you answered the question it's like the way i try to be right is like make sure that i'm sense checking my own logic and my own conviction while also like being aware of the fact that i don't know everything and like i'm not the market i'm a 
constituent of it and I'm a participant in it. But um, yeah, just like talking to people and keeping a pulse on like sentiment towards like just technologies that you know are developing as well as like problems that people uh, have or don't have anymore. So mm-hmm. yeah, in our case, I like, I feel like I have a pretty good pulse on like both through like being on Twitter and also my own personal networks. Like I understand what narratives are forming and, you know, beating themselves up and whatever things are changing. Right. Yeah. And I do kind of, uh, since being in New York and being in the spaces that you find yourself in, in the city, you do have like a really good platform for seeing what people are excited about and what is like just about to start. I don't want to say building, but like what people are drawn to and before it kind of gets too blown up. Totally. But these are also like the builders who are going to be doing it, right? Well, yes and no. I think that like you can't also like exist in a silo. And I think that like one of the things that I'm really, really grateful for is I said earlier that like half my friends are VCs and the other half are founders. But I would say that that's like actually more like a quarter true. Um, I would say like half my friend group are people in tech. Yeah. And thus, like, constituent of the sort of, I guess you, you'll you say, like, one-fourth uh, founders and one-fourth VCs. These are way too simplified fractions. But the other half of my friend group are, like, I would say more in the realm of, like, media, entertainment, art, um, science to some extent. And uh, I would argue that, like, being able to talk to them um, about what is happening and, like, what they've been experiencing, what they think of, like, things that... I think feel very fringe and like foreign to them, like crypto. Mm-hmm. Like I think a, a sort of underrated ability uh, that I have is like being able to be the like not scary, like approachable person who like is interested in this kind of stuff for a lot of my friends who are not in crypto or not in tech. Right. And so, yeah, I I would argue that like being able to like step out of your bubble is like a pretty big, uh, just like skill if you can like call it that um or just like affordance of having like a diverse set of friends so yeah i try to to just make sure that i'm not in my own little bubble often by like hearing about with curiosity not with judgment or with like an angle just like what my friends who are not really interested in the shit hear about and care about um because that'll make it very clear to you like if you're in your own little world uh as much as you can yeah and are you doing that just to just for sheer exposure or is it to feed into what you're building it and how you're building it and what people want yeah that's interesting uh it <laughs> i think it it has to always be genuine like you yeah. can't have a contrived sense of curiosity otherwise it like comes off really like icky to people yeah uh at least that's how i feel when i'm at the receiving end of that like i i often find myself at parties where i'm like the founder has like no social grace and is like kind of trying to mine you for their your take or information or whatever and it's like this is weird um and so i i always try to and i think you can tell when you're like talking to someone like be just genuinely curious and that's hard to be like to people like just be genuinely curious you know like that's that you just kind of have to be that way but um it's always genuine i think to think of the like it's with the angle of like informing genesis or like uh it's with the angle of like just wanting to know information is like it's like an indigestion to think of them differently it's like right. all the same to yeah. me so it's mostly just um building your idea of what the world is <laughs> right yeah <laughs> exactly um 
Okay, so in terms of uh, trends that you think that you were trying to predict uh-huh. or things that you're trying to be correct about, what are those? What are the calls that you're making? <laughs> yeah, I think with Genesis, I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it this way, just like with Genesis, with maybe Menagerie and like my own personal just like hot take uh, mm-hmm. absence of those two structures. Um, I think with Genesis, uh, we think that like the fundamentals of the technology are sound, but there's like a cultural sort of iteration that needs to happen and almost like a return to values about like return return exactly uh return but i like feel that the the bet we're making is that crypto is here to stay but it'll become like a fabric of the internet and there is only so much you can do on the like ui front you know like people are like make better design products i'm like nah it's that but it's also that as a uh mechanism that happens inherently what needs to happen is people need to build a reason for people to be here and like a integration of this community with the broader community of the internet not like this fringe thing that like weirdos are using right. and like that's obviously a pretty uncharitable take but i think it's the perception that a lot of people have it's like yeah. ugly monkey pick with like weird nerd who spent sixty thousand dollars to be part of this right like that that's the most uncharitable version of this but i think we have a job both culturally and sort of product wise to like make this this stuff better on all fronts and so yeah i'm betting my at least the next few years of my career and, and reputation really on like being right on this but um yeah. but yeah that's like genesis with other stuff i'm just kind of like return to form you know i think people like want to sort of step into smaller groups where they're not like in town squares constantly and like influencing and so I think like, I don't know, I try to foster like a smallness to my friend group and like a closeness that like sort of exists in like, I got a really pop in close friend story, I I think personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like my group chats are like where I spend most of my time, not really like my Twitter anymore uh, or even like uh, just public forums where I'm like shooting just content into the void. Like I think people kind of just want to be in like tiny little iMessage chats these days. So niche niche yeah that's kind of a concept that i have been floating i mean not just me i don't probably other people thought of it before me but i've caught wind of it and i think it's probably true that like the social media for everyone i don't think anyone wants that anymore Mm. i don't think people want to be fully public facing with everything that's going on um and most things that become that see virality or become super popular in the next few years will probably be more oriented towards the niche, hmm. towards the smaller. Um, I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right there. That's a bet I'm making. Um, okay, so you have a studio now that's yeah. not too far from here. Correct. Uh, what's going on at the studio? That's where you do Menagerie, which is your studio. Yeah. Funny how studio is both a physical space and a concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I feel like there is a literal, like, physical space yeah. being described right now, which is true. There's a, a studio near here in Queens uh, that I also call Menagerie. But then there is this conceptual structure called Menagerie that is the thing that I mentioned earlier. It's kind of like a concept studio container. Um, but I am up to a few things. Uh 
I think like principally the space is supposed to be a space that like embodies this philosophy of like small friend groups. So like a few close friends have like access to the studio. I give them like keys and they can use it however and whenever they want. Um, later, there's going to be like a small library that like you can pop in books and see who else who's part of the network uh, has rented out books or put in new books. And that will be cool because it'll just be like a physical representation of my tiny little social circle. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like a space for like my friends and I. It's also supposed to be a teaching space. So I uh, do workshops and I last year was doing like, for instance, like a chair building workshop. Later this fall, I'll probably be doing uh, like a 3D printing, um, like modeling and software workshop, like how to 3D print and like model your own stuff in Blender. Um, or I also am probably going to do a chair workshop. So it's a teaching space. And then the last is it's just like a productive space. So like I have a like decently stocked wood shop that you can make stuff at. I have a laser cutter. Uh, where you can obviously use that for engraving as well as like cutting acrylics, plastics, metals, woods, whatever. Um, and a 3D printer for like prototyping stuff um, and even a ceramics oven. So Damn. yeah, uh, a lot of stuff. It's it's kind of hard to describe uh, like what the purpose of the space is beyond it's like, like it's a productive space. <laughs> yeah, it's like a part of, yeah, it's like a space for animating, if you will. Yeah. How did you get the 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 oven? The oven. ceramic. Yeah, it's so it's a uh, silver clay oven, which is a specific kind of ceramic oven where basically uh, there are these types of clays that when you fire them at a certain temperature, it burns away the organic material and leaves just the silver uh, atoms that are part of the clay. Whoa. So like think about it like this. You can like make a piece of jewelry by like molding a piece of clay. Right. And then once that clay dries, you can fire it and it'll turn into a silver ring because it burns off all the sort of like moldable organic. Is that how everyone's making those? Um... Chunky rings? Yeah. 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 Some people use uh, like a wax molding kind right. of traditional stuff, but other people uh, like myself are, are using this. And so, yeah, it's like a cool little thing. Interesting. Okay. So you have the laser cutter. You were just getting that in or... You just got it in, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I'm a, I'm about to get it delivered this week. Nice. Um, but yeah, that we're going to be using that for an upcoming Genesis project, um, as well as like I use it for uh, like making like woodcuts. It's basically the equivalent of like a CNC router, uh, right. which is like how a lot of people make like wood furniture that's like pretty intricate and hard to make with your hands. Okay, yeah, this seems like a kind of, I mean, I feel like certain parts of Genesis you have um a physical component coming which i know maybe you can't talk about very much um but this does seem like two uh separate spheres or spaces that kind of balance each other out and like (laughs) i think in my notes that i sent you i was maybe predicting that people are kind of getting sick of SaaS or getting sick of subscriptions maybe that's just me um and i was trying to think about like (laughs) I was trying to think of my 2024 uh, trend forecast. So I was like, it's going to be a return to hardware. Mm. Hardware as a, it can't be a service though. Hardware as a one-time purchase. As I don't a, know what the acronym for that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you're applying like a 
type of product to like a media or like a business model yeah. almost you're like oh what's the SaaS equivalent and i'm like oh my god she's business model build <laughs> um which like yeah subscriptions is a great business model but um i th- so the way i think of it is like atoms and bits right objects and software mm-hmm. and so i think atoms are really uh just like resonant with me for a lot of different reasons there's like a tangibility to them there's like a cost to owning them they like are not free i think like something i tweeted last year that i still kind of think about is that like a lot of designers got really drunk off pixels because they're free and like it's really important to have a balance to that by understanding the cost of like producing and like owning and iterating on things and i think working with adams teaches you that and so like I feel really lucky as an example because I like started my life as a designer uh, in the world of atoms and like making furniture before I like was making products that are software. Mm-hmm. And like it feels like there's often in, in a subconscious like cost to when we're making something like making sure that it has sort of a lasting impact. Uh, not being blind by that, but being informed by that is I think like helpful. And then in the realm of just like, you know, uh, are people sick of software and subscriptions? Like for sure, yeah. But I think that people turn to hardware or objects as like a way to just get off of their computer. Like I think that the the most popular person who hits me up on Instagram when they see that I'm like making chairs and teaching people how to do that are always the like software engineers who are like just I'm assuming very disillusioned perhaps by their like inputs every day and the lack of tangibility of the work that they put in and the hours of their lives that they're spending um, behind the screen. And uh, I would say that for those people sort of making something with your hands and like feeling it and like owning it and being part of like its creation process, like definitely balances out uh, what was like fucking what two and a half years of COVID and like being inside and uh, also just like sort of create some substance to your work that is just a lot more grokkable for Mm -hmm. most people so yeah i'm glad that they're in vogue right now it it makes uh just stuff that i'm interested in like a lot more relevant to convos with people yeah i don't know if it's just something that i'm seeing from where i'm sitting because like i know that you're really into hardware and you talk about like um you know hacking your ps2s or whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right that's more or less right (laughs) ps1s ps2s um and then usb club as well Mm -hmm. very hardware driven um but what was i about to say oh yeah i i didn't even really realize that i have this uh i wouldn't say inability but like major hesitancy to pay for anything that's on a computer (laughs) i just don't want to do it and i still think like it should be free yeah right well well that's that's the question right like information that's digital should be like both like valuable and freely accessible yeah and i think not to be that guy but like crypto's trying to answer that question of like what do expansive fee models look like that's certainly a question we're interested in is like how do you I'm, this okay, this is like vision talk but mm-hmm. but like part of the vision for genesis if we're right is that uh people like humans and and software have like a more harmonious relationship with each other where like there's not this rent-seeking kind of business model that like drives a lot of platform capitalism, which locks people in and makes it like so it's hard for you to leave. And I think there's a there there with respect to using crypto to like make that a lot more feasible. 
uh, if you can create, you know, more like fundamentally aligned like business models to to power that. But sort of beside the point, I agree with you that like, yeah, open source shit is sick. And like when you can, this is an open source, this is technically legal, but like when you can torrent something, like I learned how to design because I torrented Photoshop. Yes, exactly. And like that's sick. That's a tool that like should be freely available and is extremely valuable. Um, And so... Yeah, I think there's a tension there presently with like current software and and the business models that power it, but but yeah, I think there's a lot there's a lot of people that probably resonate with with what you're saying, myself included. It's yeah. like hard for me to pay $30 for like something that I know is like this is pay, this is nothing to you. Yeah. This like you you've made this already, you know. And I think there's something to like the era in which we grew up on the internet pretty much everything was free back then right they hadn't really i can't really think of anything that i had to pay for or wanted to pay for that was on the computer Hmm. maybe like i don't know when i was a kid like fan club yeah to become a part of or like in groups like that i don't know Mm -hmm. um i think on in the dawn of like streaming services that's when everyone was like kind of not questioning okay i'm gonna be shelling out something yeah my fucking computer tv every month yeah renting and then once you take that mm, if you start dipping that toe in the water then you're in oh hell yeah then you're just paying for shit fucking left right and center yeah yeah well well, it reminds me of that that's a good metaphor because like subscriptions kind of like think about it this way right we were paying for songs and i had to fucking go to long's drugstore to buy itunes gift cards in you know the suburbs of la uh in order to like get the new i don't know radiohead album or something um and now i'm just like oh i have literally everything at the tip of my fingers i'm like a hoarder now like i'm like i because the marginal cost for me is like basically mentally zero uh but like also financially zero i'll just hoard shit yeah. And because it's free, it makes it feel less valuable to me versus like if I can only take a fucking CD in my, you know, Walkman, like I'm choosing one CD that I like really love and things like have value because I like have to own them. I have to like care for them and be like a steward of it until I'm like ready to get rid of it. And they also take up actual space in your home. Right. Yeah. You can't. It's harder to be a hoarder physically than it is to be digitally, which is, I think, how, you know, a lot of us got into this mess. So. Yes, exactly. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I think that the, the sentiment that we're talking about where people expect things on the internet to be free, that's obviously still extremely pervasive because like everything has a free tier Yeah, and you kind of need that versus like, imagine, I, I guess like the, um, real world equivalent that I'm thinking of is, you know, a Sephora when you can get like the little, Mm. not the testers, but like mini sizes of something, um, it's kind of like that, but in in real life, that's very few and far between when you get to like try something out for a little bit first mm. <laughs> or you get like a part of it without having to pay for it. I don't know. I don't know what's better. And I know that a lot of people would prefer for our digital services to be paid, mm. like Instagram or stuff like this. Yeah. Because it would make it more valuable or, you know, it would like cut out all of this shit that comes along with it in order to make it free. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, this is something that I often like, like this kind of stresses me out, this sort of stuff, because it 
it's the question of like how do you subvert business models that inform like entire paradigms of software or products more broadly um that is ultimately like incongruent with the type of future that i want to have for myself and my kids right like what we're essentially asking is like what happens post subscriptions or like what does a adless uh kind of you know set of social products look like right and those are questions that like have largely been narrative foundations for like swaths of companies that like are pretty you know i don't want to say unequivocally but like most people would consider successful so they become reference points for founders to then pattern match to when they're talking to investors and i think the brave thing to do is like to try like not enough has been tried on the avenue of like post you know platform capitalism post saas like you know hardware like you brought this up earlier traditionally something really hard to invest in because like if the goal of at least venture is like scale you know approaching zero marginal costs and economies of scale uh making something absolutely fucking massive it's really hard to do that with hardware because the iteration cycles and production cycles tend to take longer like software is free the whole point of you being thirty dollars and me paying thirty dollars for something that like cost a fixed amount to make and then a light, largely lower amount to maintain exactly is like super sweet for investors who ultimately want to make a return and so you have these like really really interesting confluence of factors around like narratives of what people want in the market what they're tired of uh from a business level perspective how you as a person want to build a future for your children and yourself in the products that they use and like all these things and so I think it just takes a ton of bravery and like conviction to be able to like move past what you have a sense will quote unquote work for the like stakeholders who can enable your ideas. In this case, we'll say like banks giving loans, VCs giving venture yourself for, you know, funding your own shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like kind of uncharted territory if you think something after all this shit should emerge and no one knows what that thing is. Right. So with Genesis, what is your guys's um, pricing? <laughs> pricing, or, yeah, um, yeah. Is it subscription? Is it how do you make money? Yeah, yeah, is what I'm asking. Um, so I will say this: <laughs> we haven't landed on a business model that like has generated like a meaningful uh, traction that I would like be convicted in it. But we have hypotheses for what that could look like post subscriptions, post ads. Like those are not business models that I think are like super compelling to us. I think what I'm really compelled by are like positive sum business models that like shares its uh, revenue in the form of upside for participants in the product. And so what we define like, you know, that to be is like, how do we basically take in the revenue that we generate and redistribute it or some part of it out to the people who help participate in that? And I think that could look a lot of different ways. But basically, we're informed by revenue sharing and like expansive value capture. And like, I think that's kind of an oxymoron for a lot of people mm-hmm. to think about. But like, we don't have to just accept that like revenue should be like solely that of the like provider of the utility. Like, a big component of that utility being valuable are the people who use it. And I think, again, one of the things that crypto uniquely provides is like, a more tangible and grokable set of tools to like do that um practically and legally mm-hmm. so so yeah 
the way we make money is we're uh, experimenting with like that kind of business model. And I think what that will look like, I, I don't even think I can legally say because um, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, expansive fee uh, fee models are really interesting to us. So right now, though, when you download the app. There it's free. Yeah. Everything in Genesis right now is free. Uh, soon that won't be true. Soon we're going to be launching something that is not free, but I think really valuable and okay. involves hardware and also involves uh, the free thing that we are making. That is the sort of like infrastructure. Um, and I guess like spoiler alert, that app is going to evolve soon and won't be an iOS app. It will be an app that is available on the web. So it means that we can sort of escape the like you have to have an iPhone or you have to have a certain iOS version right. to use the thing. It's just like available to anyone because it's built on the web. And that's like a property that we think is really important and underutilized. I see. Uh, so there will no longer be the iOS app and it's just all going to exist on the web. Yep. Very interesting. OK. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Did we have any other questions that we wanted to hit? I feel like that was. Yeah, that was a lot. That was sick, though. That was fun. I uh, I think that the only thing that I would say is like pretty it's like maybe there's like a there's like an an interesting angle to like thinking about um, like domains that don't really communicate a lot like I think often people sort of like come to me with like a I don't really know why the thing that you're working on here relates at all to the thing over here mm-hmm. and I think a Uh, what used to be a frustration but is now like a sort of like little delight every time I get to to talk about it is like when people look at like the stuff I'm doing with furniture and then look at the stuff I'm doing with Genesis and they're like what the fuck (laughs) uh it used to frustrate me a lot because I think obviously it feels like you know no one understands me and like whatever like that's you know my 16 year old self would probably be like oh my god I'm like so different and whatever but like more now, I think like something my dad used to say to me that was like really impactful and I, I took to heart and feels like a core theory or like way I live my life is like the statement disunity is the illusion. Mm-hmm. Like that has like informed everything that I do from like being being really, really uh, aware and observational of sampling different like reference points and frameworks from like domains that like typically don't have communication with each other. And in my life, that like tends to look like landscape architecture and furniture, which is something that my mom did for work. And, you know, teaching, which is something that my my dad does for work with like crypto, the Internet, social network construction, you know, technology and culture and my own furniture designs. Right. And like those things really coalesce, um, I think, really easily for me internally to to think of my own reference points and, and people in my life that influence me. But, you know, people are like, you studied biology, right. were interested in going to med school and then like dropped out to go to New York when you had never been there before. And technology, AI, crypto, like what? And and to me, I'm like, exactly. Yes, those are all th- there. There's more that is shared between all of those domains and a shared motivation behind all of that. than I think meets the eye and something that like I try to instill in people is just like just allow yourself to imagine what if these things were related and like if you were to draw an arbitrary axis of relationship between any given concept and two different like zones of uh of reference you can like analyze almost anything through like various arbitrary axes and then 
map that like concept on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And like this isn't like a new theory. This is like me borrowing like Brian Eno's like access thinking. But all is to say, like, I think that's where creativity like is really apparent is like when you sample a, you know, topical breadth of like two different things and then see how they intersect and what's shared between them and then ultimately what's different. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I feel like that's just like a I'd be uh, missing a core component if I didn't like touch on this like idea of like how does all of this shit relate yeah true and I mean that is something that I I have a lot of people on here who do many different things and it seems like they're in four different corners of the world and I never know if it's appropriate or if I'm like trying to see something that that isn't there when I'm asking them like how is this all related like what's the through line because there doesn't necessarily have to be one like you don't really necessarily have to have like one message or one goal or mission that you're trying to accomplish through all of your work. Do you think that this is kind of um, a retrospective thing that you do of once you've moved through all these spaces, you kind of look back and pull out the through line or is it something that you're kind of thinking of from the outset? I think it's more a retrospective thing, but I think when you become aware of it as a retrospective phenomenon, you like train yourself or at least I've feel like I've like tuned my eye to like try to recognize where dovetailing and like resonance can can appear mm-hmm. in like different projects or domains and that's why I say like menagerie and genesis are pretty much like research studios for the other right like <laughs> the stuff that I do at menagerie is directly informing some of the things that we implement at genesis and the other way around is true and I think that you're right like through lines don't necessarily need to exist uh, for everything, but I would argue for the people that don't see them, like challenge yourself to think about, like if I force myself to imagine these things as related, what is shared? And I think you'll be surprised at like how often you can pattern match and then what will emerge is like maybe arbitrary differences between them can actually be like frameworks that apply really neatly to the other. An example of this is like when you think about health as just like, I am creating an intervention to prevent some kind of disease or illness or condition from, you know, harming this person. You can't tell me that's not almost the same thing as thinking about design. Like design is a problem that someone has with an intervention in the form of a product or a UI that then ideally solves that problem, make that person's life better. Now, am I arguing that like design is the same thing as as healing? Probably not. (laughs) But what I'm saying there is like there's a lot of analogous thinking in the motivations for like what you're you know doing as an intervention um and so i'm like yeah being a a doctor is the same thing as being as a as a designer is the same thing as being you know a furniture maker because you're like inserting an object into someone's life that like makes it better Mm -hmm. and like that's an intervention of sorts and so i don't know that's like a sort of kind of off-cuff framework to think about this but sense making is like i think a skill that if you can do well like you can narrativize just parts of your life to make sense to not only yourself but to other people and like that can only really help provide legibility into like the way you think and who you are and why you act the way you do and yeah yeah I think that's useful I think it's a really good point because that is something that I feel like I'm bad at connecting versus like Ruby's a wonderful connector oh yeah um and even not just like ideas or sounds DJing Mm. um Uh, even like people, mm-hmm. you know, those people who are like, you, you need to link up with this guy. Mm-hmm. Cause, um, like I see some similarities there. <laughs> um, it's a great, it's a, it's a very like curatorial kind of role. For sure. Yeah.
and being a curator is very hot right now. <laughs> a curator of all genres. Yeah, it's the new DJ. Um, okay, so in terms of what what you have going on, Genesis.xyz. Mm-hmm. Genesis.xyz is like the company website. Uh, menagerie.life is like the menagerie website. And then my personal website is a little on the abstract side, but it does have links to all this stuff. And okay. that website is just my name. So it's Sean X feeling.com sean x feeling.com yep. okay i'll put them all in the description <laughs> thank you for coming all right thanks, thanks.